Okay, well, I have some uh, good news for you folks over here in the wing. Um, we are working on having a big screen TV up there where you can see the overhead. We've been uh, planning on doing that for a while, but um, it's coming to critical mass now. So um, shortly you'll be able to see the entire uh, screen over there. I know you can't see it from where you are, so... Uh, just hang in there. It's on its way. Isn't that right, Deacon? <laughs> I hope. Okay. Um, I'm still trying to be unbefuddled. I came here this morning. I know I had my reading glasses in my pocket, but they're not here. They disappeared, so I have borrowed some. <laughs> we'll see how that works. Let's prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. During that time, we have the opportunity to name privately to God the Father any unconfessed sins which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you are our God, a God of righteousness and justice, mercy, grace, and love. We pray that as we study your word, that we'll have a greater appreciation for who you are, what you've done for us already, and what you will do for us in the future. For we pray it in Christ's name, amen. I want you to think this morning, before we even get started, about something that is, well, it's nearly unimaginable, that the God of the universe, the God that created all things, wants to have a relationship with you. Now, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? But when you think of what it cost Him to have a relationship with you and with me, it even gets more Awesome. It cost him Jesus Christ leaving the glory of heaven, coming to earth, becoming a man, a creature lower than the angels. Not only that, but having to go to the cross, the ghastly horrors that he suffered there. And what was the motivating drive? His love for us. You've already heard me say over and over that we love because God first loved us. It's always His motivation towards us that can even start us or inspire anything in us with regards to reciprocal love back towards Him. I'm going to put some things on the board now. One of the things I'm going to start with was from last Sunday. You'll recognize it, I hope. God loves you. Now, I have to apologize because last Sunday when I was uh, preparing this, I was swapping my colors around. And when I did, somehow the subject and the object got swapped also. So I was explaining it right, but up here on the board, I had God as the object and you as the subject. 
Now, there were a few of you that know your grammar well enough, and one kind gentleman came up and very discreetly said, I think you got your subject and object backwards. And I said, thank you for letting me know. So, anyway, we have it right now. God is the subject, and He loves you. Now, we're talking about two different types of love. There's a personal love, which is conditional, and there's an impersonal love that is unconditional. God has both types of love towards His creatures. The impersonal or unconditional love emphasizes His character, who and what He is, and that's why you see up here, up here that uh, notice that God is bigger. So in that type of love, it's always the one doing the loving, the subject that is emphasized. Now, God also has a, a personal or unconditional type of love towards His creatures. When you can... Some people like to call this personal and impersonal love. Some like to call it unconditional and conditional love. But His love towards this, us and this other type of love depends upon you, the object. So the first type in His unconditional love, it depends upon who and what He is. On His conditional love, it is conditioned upon something that is worthy or attractive or of value in us. Here's one way of putting it. God's impersonal or unconditional love on your left is described. It emphasizes the subject. It has to be the subject that has the capacity to love because there is nothing in the object that is lovable. It's unconditional. Doesn't depend on the object, whether the object is worthy of love or not, doesn't matter at all. It emphasizes God's integrity. He has the capacity, the integrity to love us even though we are not lovable. This goes to all unbelievers. God's unconditional love goes to all mankind. What does John three sixteen say? Y'all know that one. For God so loved what? The world. That includes what? Believers, unbelievers, everyone. That is His unconditional love going out to everyone. But in another sense, He has an unconditional love towards negative believers. You'll see why that's, how that works in a moment. Now, on the other side, the other type of love that God has for us is His personal love or conditional love. It's conditioned upon something in us that is attractive or of value. This emphasizes the object. In this case, it would be us. It's conditional. It's conditioned upon you having something that God values or that is attractive to God. So it emphasizes the imputed righteousness that you have. Already I have to get technical here, but that's fine. We need to get technical. What is it that you have that God thinks is of value and that is very attractive to Him? Is it anything that you can do? What about your best day when you... When you did more good things, more good deeds than you ever did any other day, you were on top of your game. You were the most gracious, loving person. Your wife or husband didn't even recognize you. You just had a, just a wonderful day as far as being the very best that you possibly could. Now, is God impressed with that? 
Is, is, is he going to say, oh, well, I am so impressed. I'm really going to bless this guy today. No, because that's called relative righteousness. In other words, when you do something good and I do something good, we can compare notes and see which one we think was better than the other. In other words, was my good better than your good? And usually there's a little prejudice going on there. We usually think our good is better than someone else's good. But it's never what we call plus or it is not perfect righteousness. And that's something we can't come up with. The best thing we can do on our best day is called human good. As a human, that's the best you can do. But God does not accept human good. He only accepts perfection. Anybody here perfect? Don't raise your hand, please. If you think you are, give us a break. So it's the imputed righteousness that is in us that we receive the moment that we believe in Jesus Christ that God is interested in. Now He can love us based on something that we have. Now this is to the uh, God's personal love is to all believers as compared to all unbelievers. In other words, He can only love unbelievers with His character. They don't have righteousness, so He, base, he loves them based on who and what He is. But all believers have that one ingredient that is so attractive to him, which is called righteousness. And by the way, it is imputed on the basis of faith. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Wow! (laughs) I didn't get that one right last time. Last Sunday, I don't know if you knew it. It was one of my better days. I tried to quote that verse, which is Romans 4, 5, and I kept trying to quote Titus 3, 5 for some reason. I had my things, object and, and, and subject uh, backwards, and uh, there was something else that was not right, but I don't remember it. <laughs> How convenient. Uh, now, on the same side of the personal love, we have that he also loves positive believers in a, in a personal way as opposed to negative believers. Now, negative believers have God's righteousness, and he loves them in, in the sense as compared with unbelievers, they have something. But he loves positive believers in a, in a more personal way because they have something that the negative unbelievers don't have. They both have righteousness, but what is it that the positive believer has that the negative believers does not have that God is very interested in? How about His Word? Huh? They have doctrine in their soul, and that is very attractive to God. So we're sorting this out so we can look at it in more detail than just saying, well, God loves us. Well, la-di-da, let's go on our way and forget about it. No, God wants us to really zero in and see what this is all about. That's my subliminal deal. It's not supposed to come up right now. <laughs> I have something called uh, gyro. What is it? Gyro something or other. And it brings all of this fancy stuff up. And I was, was going to use it. And I decided not to because the learning curve just to learn it was not working. But now it just pops up when I don't want it. You ever see sometimes the screen will go blank? That's part of my gyro tools. 
And so they just want to work when they want to. Okay. So now let's look at it as with regards to our time on earth. We go through three phases, or not just on earth. Let's just say as a believer in Jesus Christ, we will experience three phases. The first one is phase one is that salvation. And this is how God's impersonal love interacts with that phase because the entire human race is loved unconditionally by God, which is proven by Christ dying on the cross, which has to do with a doctrine called unlimited atonement. God loves everyone. We all started out as spiritually dead unbelievers. He loved everyone in that sense. And so in phase one, salvation, God's unconditional love was for everyone, but God's personal or conditional love was only for a few. Now, why, why does he personally love those who are believers? Because they have, again, imputed righteousness. You get it. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, God imparts to your account his own righteousness. Can you improve on his righteousness? See, this is what people that don't know these things have a hard time with because they're out trying to do great things for God so they can impress God, and they don't know that they already have the most valuable thing that they could ever have is eternal life, what they got at the moment of salvation, and God's imputed righteousness. So God loves them personally. The moment that you believe in Jesus Christ, you have His righteousness, and He switches from unconditional and impersonal love to you to personal love, that's conditioned upon you having the righteousness. Got that? Now, that just lasts however long it takes to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. You're out of phase one and you're into phase two. Now, this is what phase I can comfortably and dogmatically say that all of us are in this phase right now. Well, if you're a believer, you are. This is, we're just all in time. From the time you believe in Jesus Christ to the time you're out of this world, you're in this phase called time. Now, God's unconditional love is for all believers. Now, there are a lot of believers in this world that are not here. I'm talking about in this church. There's a lot of, un- a lot of believers in this world that's never even gone to church. There's a lot of believers in this world that have no desire or interest in going to church. Well, does God love them anyway, unconditionally, based on who and what He is? Absolutely. And the proof of it is that He gives them what we call logistical grace. Logistical grace, if you were talking about an army, would be the bullets and the beans. For us, it would be transportation, it would be clothes, health, uh, a local church, pastor, teachers, the Word of God, on and on. He gives you everything that you need in order to fulfill His plan in your life. A lot of people aren't fulfilling it, but they still get the grace. Understand that now. Not conditioned upon anything they do. It's conditioned upon who He is. But now on the other side, on the red side, you have mature believers that receive something more than what the ones that are not interested in His Word receive. So what is the difference? They receive super grace. In other words... The proof of the pudding with regards to his personal love for you, that's different than just the unconditional love towards the uh, negative believer, is that he gives you more grace, super grace, 
Do you know how many believers out there that don't even know that this exists? They don't know that there's different kinds of grace. Six kinds of grace. I probably should have that overlaid. Put it up here. But right now we're talking about more grace. In other words, you're going to get more in this life and tremendously more in the next life if you have something that the negative believers don't have. You know what that is? Well, anybody could say Bible doctrine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but we're talking, about, we're talking about positive volition. So you can have, uh, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you're born again. You become a child of God. But that does not necessarily mean that you're going to have a relationship with God. It's very, very possible that uh, you may believe in Jesus Christ and you are a child of God, but like a lot of children who don't care about their parents, don't want to obey, uh, they just want to run away, run away from home, they're still the child of their parent, but they don't have a relationship with them. That's because in, in the analogy that I'm giving you, that's what negative volition does for you. You're a child of God, but you don't care about God. You've got bigger fish to fry. And so you go on your way and you have no relationship with God. God is still going to supply your needs because he's your parent. However, the greater grace, the benefits, the wonderful blessings that could be yours won't be yours because all you are going to be under is his impersonal, unconditional love, but believers who are positive. And I suppose, I hope everyone here is positive. I mean, that's why you're here. You want to hear more about God. You want to learn how to do it, how to do it right. What do we do to please Him? How do we execute the Christian way of life? How do we love God? This is what we're learning about. And if you keep it up, you have His promise, you're going to get super grace. He's going to give more blessings to you because now you are under His personal love. Phase three is eternity. Guess what? Eternity is right around the corner for every one of us. It can be closer than we may know. Either we're going to die or else Jesus Christ might return. We don't know when He's going to return, but whenever He returns, this body, we're in the physical realm right now, is going to change instantly. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the blinking of an eye. And we're no, no longer going to be in time. Then we're going to be in the eternal realm, at least for a time. So now we have uh, the all believers are under God's unconditional love. Every believer, even the ones that aren't here, don't care to be here, don't care about God, are going to get a resurrection body when Jesus Christ returns. This old bag of bones we have here is going to be renewed. I mean, not only renewed, it is going to be fantastic. Now, does the does the believer that doesn't care about God, has no relationship with God, is doing his own thing, does he deserve a resurrection body? No, he doesn't deserve it. He didn't deserve to get saved to begin with. In fact, we don't deserve anything. If we got what we deserve, poof, we'd all be toast. But he's going to get a resurrection body because that is under his unconditional love. But how about the mature believer? He's going to get eternal rewards. Because he's gets something extra because now he's under God's personal love. Is the beginning to jail? 
You understand the distinction between these terms? It's important for you to understand. Because you make the choice. Once you understand that as a mature believer, one that has positive volition and is growing in grace and knowledge, you're going to get abundant, super abundant blessings in six categories. We could go right through them and name them. If you understood that that was in store for you, why would you fiddle-faddle around with a bunch of cotton candy lies that Satan is producing? You know, always the glitter. I think of, sometimes I think of uh, Satan as a, a corny hawker. You know what a corny hawker is? I think I just made that up, but I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> a corny is a guy at the carnival. And you know how they hawk. They always come over here and uh, throw the ball, knock the cats off and all this. And, uh, but it's always deception. Have you ever tried to go to the carnival and knock those cats down with a ball? Huh? And you think, why is it so hard to this wide? Well, this, 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 this wide in the middle of them is only about this wide. The rest of it is just fluff, see? You've got to hit it dead on, dead center to knock one off. And I think they're weighted on the bottom. And so this is what Satan does. He, he makes you think that if you can just do what you want to do, be a free spirit. Don't worry about all the constraints that he puts on you. Who wants to be old fuddy-duddy Christian anyway? Let's go out and have some fun. That's just like a carnival, a corny hawker. He's out there, come over here. Well, God has something tremendously better than that, and that is the eternal rewards and He gives that because of His personal love towards you. And the target of that personal love is your positive volition and the doctrine that you have in your soul. Okay, now we're swapping it. Did you notice that? Huh? I got the subject and the object on the right side. So we're, 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 we're rolling now. First, God loves you. We looked at that. Now, we're on the seventh floor of the divine domain, and the subject matter is uh, your love for God. Personal love for God. Did you hear that? Personal love for God. you the subject. God's the object. There it went again. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, what did it say? You got it? Is that what it said? <laughs> you got it? <laughs> okay. Personal, conditional love it means you love God. You're the subject. God's the object. Now, personal love, remember, means that is predicated or dependent upon the value, the attractiveness, the virtue, whatever it may be, of the object. So, of course, our love towards God is going to be that kind, right? Because He is worthy of that kind, that kind only. We never have impersonal or unconditional love for God. Do you understand that? Do you know why, how, how blasphemous that would be? is to think, I'm going to love God based on my integrity. Uh, he doesn't have enough integrity for me to love Him personally, so I'm going to love Him with my integrity. And that's pretty insane, isn't it? So the only kind of love we have towards God is based on who and what He is, never on who and what we are. Why? <laughs> Why is that? Because our love for Him is always based on who and what He is. And His love for us is based on who and what He is. Now, what does that mean? It's all about Him. Got that? 
Now, we've learned something already in church, didn't we? About the different kinds of love, but more importantly, we're starting to zero in on our life is not about us. It's not about how much fun can I eat out of this miserable life. And when everything goes wrong, how many people can I blame? If I run out of play people, I'll just point to the skies and blame God. That's the normal thing. But what we're finding out is it's all about Him. First John two five. Turn that to that in your Bibles, if you will. First John two five. Okay, First John 2.5. Whoever guards the Word, truly in Him the love of God has been perfected. Underline the word whoever. You know what that means? Whoever. <laughs> it means anybody can do this. Anybody that is still above ground and breathing, can accomplish this. Whoever guards the Word. What what does guarding the Word mean anyway? Defending it, yeah. But does it mean that you have to get over your Bible like this? Anybody comes around, you're ready to... Is that what it means? (laughs) I hate to see... That's why I never see myself on the DVDs and all, I'm always embarrassed myself. Uh, No, it doesn't mean that. What it means is you have to continue to do something for the love you have for God to be perpetuated, to be perfected. So guarding the Word means essentially you have to keep learning the Word. You have to keep growing. Because whenever you quit learning about God, your spiritual momentum dies. And it creates a vacuum in your soul that sucks in the lies. This is so for every person. So when you're guarding the Word, it means you continue to take it in. You continue to think and meditate about God and the things He would have you do. About eschatology. The things that are yet to take place. When you meditate upon that, when you learn these things, and you know what's coming next, then you have courage. And you have prosdikao, which is a Greek word that means anxious anticipation. You know, everybody lives for right now, and the Bible says, no, no. You need to live, live for what's coming. And the reason is because we're in practice for what's coming. This is a training session that we're having on in time right now, preparing us for what. What's coming next? Most people don't even know what's coming next. They don't even know that they're in training. They don't know much of anything. Uh, I guess it's not good that that, uh, I would admit this, but I like to see uh, Jay Leno do jaywalking. You ever seen that, that is? uh, He goes out on the street with with a microphone, and he just asks people questions, just simple questions. 
he was on the street and he asked one person, he pointed the flag and it was up on a building flying. He says, how many stars are on that flag? He said, I don't know. It's, it's, too, it's moving too much. I can't tell. Simple questions. It's amazingly how abysmally ignorant most people are about just about everything, but especially when it comes to issues concerning the Word of God. So you guard it. And if you're not guarding it by continuing to take it in, you're going to lose it. You're not defending it, and, you, and, and, and Satan will take it away. You'll start thinking that human viewpoint. So it says, truly in him, the love of God or the love for God has been perfected. Has been perfected. It means completed. It's got up to that point where it should be. And that is in the perfect tense in the Greek. And you know what that means? It means it's something that happens in the past, a completed action, but the results go on and on into eternity, into phase three that we were just looking at with the surpassing grace blessings. How often do you think about phase three? Outside, and if you think of, when I'm thinking, talking about phase three, I'm talking about eternity. And if you think, if what you think is being afraid, that doesn't count. I'm talking about anxiously anticipating about Christ coming and what's next, what all the things are. When was the last time you even thought about that? You can't think about those things if you don't know about them. If I start using terms like the rapture, the judgment seat of Christ, if I start uh, talking about rewards, decorations, crowns, privileges, opportunities for all eternity, the difference between inhabiting and inheriting heaven, if those things mean nothing to you, then you can't be you, you won't have that anxious anticipation. So the first thing you have to do is learn about these things. I just sometimes I, I'm not known for my patience. Let's put it this way. And sometimes when I see people get so excited about trivia and so disinterested in the word, I just grind my teeth. There's nothing that I would rather talk about than God and His Word. Especially when you get into eschatology, I just get into hyper mode. Because we're talking about what's going to happen to all of us. What God has revealed in His Word so that we can anxiously anticipate it, look forward to it, and attune our lives now in a sense to prepare for what He will have us do then. And it's so discouraging when you talk to most believers about eternity, you ask, are you saved? Well, I don't know, but I hope so. Just makes you, I don't know, I, I vacillate from feeling sorry for them and just being angry. Because God's revealed it, it's all there. And all this has to do with the love for God being perfected in you. If you know more about God, you can't help but love Him more. How does God express His love for us? Well, you all know you saw this last time, right? Through grace. Aha. But, do we have to work for blessings? I don't, don't speak out. I, they, I, people are thinking. I hope they're thinking. <laughs> do you have to work for God's blessing? If I went out on the street, if I took this 
this microphone, and it worked out on the street. And I went up and said, uh, do you have to work for God's blessing? What is the average person going to say? Oh, absolutely. You've got to be a good person. You've got to go to church. You've got to mop the floor. You've got to be nice to the people you can't stand. They even take it a, a, a step further. The things you do wrong, they think you've got to do penance for. You've got to make up for the things you do wrong, and you've got to do a lot of good things if, if you're going to get that job you want. If you ever want to have a handsome husband or a drop-dead gorgeous wife, if you want that new car, new bay house, new whatever it is, then you've got to really shine before God. That is, the, is that not? Isn't that the attitude of most people? So it's a newsflash to a lot of people to hear that you don't have to work for blessing. God's going to bless you whether you work or not. Is that fair? Do we deserve that? Isn't that why they call it grace? Getting what you don't deserve? Well, the answer is no. We don't have to work for blessings. Then here's that word again. Why? Why don't we have to work for blessings? Because our blessing depends on who He is, not who we are. And that falls under what heading? If I was giving you a test right now and saying, okay, what I just told you, you don't have to work for grace because God is going to bless you anyway. I mean, excuse me, you don't have to work for blessing because God is going to bless you anyway. It's because our blessing depends on He and what, who and what He is, not who and what we are. What kind of love is that directed towards us? Unconditional, right? Depends on who and what He is. Now, I have to shut this down for a moment. I tried to get this to work in another way, and I couldn't do it. So I'm going to bring something else here. Now, some of you have seen this. When you see what I'm bringing up here, it will probably be for the 458th time. Uh-oh. <laughs> you don't like to hear those words, do you? No, it's having a too big a moment here. Jenny, will you come here just a minute, please? I brought this up. Now I can't get it off, and it's not right. This is this one right here. See, I brought it up to this right here. Where, how do I get that off? Huh? <laughs> I tried so hard for it to go smooth today. I really did. I, I, I had everything ready to go. Yeah, that's what I want. It has to be smaller. I just was going to bring it up on. I can't bring it up like that, maybe. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, that'll work. Yeah. Okay. Good. I won't touch it. All right, here it is. The Grace Pipeline. Right? How many times have you seen it? Some of you, but you know what? There are people in this group that have never seen this. It's important for them to see it, too. You know, there was a time that you saw it for the first time. And there might have been somebody sitting in the, in the audience saying, Oh, no, not again. It's a pipeline. What is it? It's showing you why God can bless you even though you don't deserve it. Because you have the justice of God up here at the top. God's justice sends blessings down this pipeline down here to man. Now, this says... To man here. I'm not going to touch this because last time, that's what it says right here. So it goes from God's justice to what? 
the imputed righteousness of man. God can bless you even though you don't deserve it because you have His righteousness. He doesn't bless you because you're so righteous or because you did a righteous deed or anything else. He always here because of your the, uh, righteousness He's imputed to you. Now, all these things that you see here, can you all see those in the back? Can you all tell what those are? It says uh, morality, witnessing, prayer, giving, service, sincerity, emotionalism, personality, talent, tithing, social action, sacrificing, tithing. <laughs> I don't know how. I really don't know how tithing got on there twice. I didn't intend that. It just did. And then self-righteous. All this, nothing can penetrate that encapsulated pipeline because God blesses us because who and what He is. Now, you know what? If you didn't know that, and you have been working in order for God to bless you, that would certainly be worth the price of admission, wouldn't it? So you don't have to work like that anymore. Now, that is not an advertisement for us not to work. But it's the motivation. In fact, God says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we were created unto good works to do good things. But we don't do good things in order to get blessings because we're going to get blessings anyway. But you choose what kind of blessings. Do you want to get by grace, the logistical grace that God gives to everyone? Or you want, do you want the super grace life, the abundant life that God guarantees will have your cup overflowing? You won't be able to contain all the blessings that He gives you once you have what? Guarded. Guarded the Word. So, I just wanted to throw that in so everybody would realize why we don't have to work for blessing. Let me put it this way. You don't have to work for logistical grace-type blessings. But you do have to do something in order to get the abundant life. That is grow in grace and knowledge, learning His Word, having the capacity to appreciate what He's doing, how to execute His plan. Now let's see if I can get this off of here. Okay. I, th- I think I got I think I think. No. I think I just need to get this big here. Okay. What's next? Okay. Here's the biggie here now. Personal love for God, isn't that the only kind we have for Him, remember? We love Him based on who and what He is. Personal love for God motivates impersonal or unconditional love for man. Huh. Which really, what that does is take us to the next verse. 1 John 5, 2. By this, and he's referring in context, our love for God, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. In the Bible, do you know what the Bible says? It says that you cannot love your fellow man if you don't love God first. And if you say that you love your fellow man and you really don't, you hate him, and you, and you love God, What does the Bible say you are? A liar. Yeah. 
Do you understand the impact of what this means? We're talking about getting your priorities straight. Everybody thinks that they have to work on their relationships. Probably all of us have relationships we need to work on, right? And they think that if I can just interact, communicate, do all these things with this person better, it's going to be everything's going to be all right. But they're start they're going in the right direction. What they need to do is improve their relationship with God. Then all of their relationships are going to be better and improve. It always starts with God. By this, for referring to our love for God, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. You know what the two big commandments are? I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments. Love God and love your fellow man. Christ Himself said, those are the two big ones. Which one did He say to do first? Love God. So we're talking about love for God, but now we're segueing out of the love for God and we're going to the next floor of the divine domain. Do we have that? Let's see. Yeah, here it is. Oh, we don't have it. Where's Jenny? Just so I won't have to stop and do this, will you bring up the... uh, I thought we had that. PowerPoint, divine domain. I want the uh, flow. Yeah, that was it. Ah, okay. Thank you. All right. You might have to just sit up here. There you go. All right. The divine domain is just a term. It, it, what we're looking at is choices that you need to make you automatically make while you're here on planet earth where you decide you want to live god wants you to live in the divine domain this represents your spiritual life and it's tall and the more you grow the higher altitude you get and the idea where we want to get is up here in the penthouse which would represent spiritual maturity and we have 10 floors to get there i'll show you those in just a moment however You can choose to live in this place here, the cosmic compound. That's when you do it your way, and you don't care about God, or you're a believer, and you chose, you know, I know what God says, but it doesn't sound like much fun. I think I'm going on the fun side. And you, you disobey Him, you get into carnality, and this is what your life is like. The buzzard up here, it just can't wait for you to get there. So... God wants you to be here. When you're here, the way to get out of this cosmic compound, this little trek right here, go through the rebound doors and you get into the divine domain which has these floors. Now here we are starting now. We were in personal love for God. Now we're going to impersonal love for man. Look here, we're getting pretty close. We've come from the ground floor all the way up here to impersonal love for men. Now, that could be unconditional love for man. Now, since I've been really dwelling on the difference between personal and unconditional love, our personal love is based on the object. 
you know, have a, is conditioned upon the something that is valuable that they have. But impersonal love is based on the character, may I say, the doctrine that you have in your own soul. Because you are mimicking the way that God loves you. And He loves you impersonally all the time. And if you're executing His plan, growing in grace, then you get the, the personal love. But now you know what we're talking about. Unconditional or impersonal love towards man. Are you all with me? You know where we're going? Okay. If you're going to take some notes, this will be the time to do it because I'm going to start throwing out points here. Unconditional love, the eighth floor. I guess I'll put these up here. I don't know if they're distracting. I, don't, I wasn't going to have them up all the time. But Point number one is unconditional love for others is commanded. You are commanded to love everybody. Personal love is not. You understand what this is saying? This is, this is, we are getting now to where the rubber meets the road. Because we're in a place where I assume everyone or most everyone are believers in Jesus Christ. They want to do what's right. They're in a nice air-conditioned room. They have nice clothes on. I don't, I haven't smelled anybody that, you know, might be odious to someone. Even in this room, though, the problem is there's people in it. More people. We are the cream of the crop right here. And a lot, I, I dare say that there's somebody that's not going to get out these doors with getting mad at somebody. This very day, before they make it out those doors, somebody's going to step on their toe. They're going to say something that somebody's going to take the wrong way. Or they might not like the color of your dress. They might not like the fact the way you have your hair or that you don't have hair, whatever it may be. People get offended. We have to deal with people all the time. So you better listen up, especially on this one, because you're going to have to apply this one every single day of your life. Besides that, God commands you to do it. And there's some people that are not so easy to love. In fact, they're impossible to love apart from... God enabling you to do so. Now, impersonal love is a relaxed mental attitude towards the entire human race. Do you know that it's possible to go to Houston in the traffic in Friday afternoon, peak hours of traffic in Houston, and have a relaxed mental attitude? Did you know that's possible? Now, I'm not claiming I ever did that. I'm just saying, do you think it's possible? I had spurts of relaxed mental attitude as soon as I got over the rage of a relaxed mental attitude. Wouldn't you like to go through life with a relaxed mental attitude with no dope, no drugs, no... It, you just were relaxed. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. You had a relaxed mental attitude. That's what unconditional love will do for you. That's what we're talking about. Personal love is about man's ego, and unconditional love is about man's virtue, the character that you have, the ability to think about someone else. 
manners. You know, I, I think that's something that's being lost on this younger generation. I think they're just trying to keep, from, keep them from killing each other. Uh, forget manners. I mean, let's just go through the day without having to call 911. And that's a shame because manners is an expression of unconditional love, thoughtfulness of other people, respecting them. Point number four. We never have unconditional love for others until we first have love for God because we have no natural motive within our sinful selves to love everyone. And I started to change that everyone to anyone. I think it would read just as well. There's nothing within us, ourself, as we are, the sinful fallen creatures that we are, that would motivate us to love those who are not lovable. What does our nature want to do? You know, somebody swipes at you, you want to swipe back. Don't get angry, get even. That kind of mentality. That is what our nature is. But God says, no. You love that person. You treat them the same way that I treat you. You don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. But I require you to have... Unconditional love for them. It's not conditioned upon them. It's conditioned upon what you are. Number five. It is imperative that we learn and use unconditional love in our lives because if we don't, our relationship will simply not last and our daily contact with others will drive us out of our minds. Let me look at that again. It's imperative that we learn and use Unconditional love. You see, it's not just learning it. You might go home and on the way home say, you know, that's a really a neat principle, isn't it? That you treat others not as they treat you, but how God treats you. That's a great concept, isn't it? And then the next thing you know, some little old trifling thing happens and it's wow, that ate each other. It's learning it and using it. If we don't do it, our relationships will simply not last. They won't endure. And our daily contact with others will drive us out of our minds. Would you agree with that? What if it's just two people living together? <laughs> I said unconditional love will work for everyone. What if it's just one person you have to live with? It works for that. Same with them, too. Number six, unconditional love is not emotional. Emotions were designed to appreciate relationships, but they were never designed to establish or maintain them. Love is thought, not emotion. So don't get the idea that I'm saying that you have to go gaga over all these people who are, don't deserve it. What God does expect us to do is not retaliate. Don't judge them. Don't gossip about them. Don't try to get even with them. If they've really offended you, put them in the Lord's hand and let Him take care of it. Did any of that have anything to do with emotion? No. 
Do you know that you can love people you don't even like? Does that make sense? How can you love somebody you don't like? Because it doesn't have anything to do with emotions. All you have to do is not judge them. Not try to hurt them. Not try to retaliate. Any of these things. And that is unconditional love. But I have to throw one thing in the mix before I go any further. And I've got to end because I'm out of time already. But I won't say that. You cannot do this under your own power. You can strain. You can grit your teeth. I will love my neighbor. You can get up every day with a chant. I will love my neighbor. 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 And you can go there and bake him a blueberry pie and give it to him. And grind in your teeth the whole time. That is not unconditional love. You, you can't do it on your own. But if you love God and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning that you're not in a state of carnality, how did we get from the cosmic compound back over into the divine domain? What was the first floor? We call it rebound. You rebound out of carnality, out of the sinful state, by acknowledging your sins to God and boom, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. He gives you something that you don't have the ability to love those who are stinkers. The ability to have, well, what you need is power. You don't have the power to do it. When I was in high school, we would say, you don't have the stroke. But God gives you that. So, essentially what I'm telling you, introducing this unconditional love is that you can conquer all of the negative emotions, all of the mental attitude sins, all the rancor, animosity, and trouble that you have with other people and keep a relaxed mental attitude even when they're nasty to you if you love God and obey Him. He will give you the power to do that. Are you interested in that? Hmm? Well, whether you are or not, God doesn't ask you if you're interested in it. Go ahead and try it. God says, do it. And if you don't do it, you're automatically going to suffer the consequences. You're going to have uh, one tirade after another. You're not going to get along with people. It's always their fault. They did something. God says, love them anyway because I loved you. You didn't deserve it. Neither did they. But I require you to do it and I'll give you the power to do it. At this time, I'd like everyone please to bow their heads and close their eyes. This last portion of this service is for anyone who may be here and really not be sure about what's going to happen to them after they die. It could be that they hope that they might go to heaven, that they're good enough. The only way you can be good enough is to have God's righteousness, and the only way to have God's righteousness is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the Son of God. He is the Son of God who went to the cross, died for your sins, rose again, and offers eternal life to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for it. And when you do that, you are born again. You become a child of God. Your ticket to heaven is guaranteed. But now the issue is, are you going to grow up? Are you going to guard the Word? Is your love for God going to be perfected? Are you going to have great rewards and decorations and privileges and opportunities in heaven? Or are you going to be a peon, loser, believer as you go through those pearly gates? 
You can do it right now. You don't have to say anything. God knows what you're thinking. Simply in your own thought, I am accepting Jesus Christ and His work for me on the cross. And in that moment, you go out of phase one into phase two because you're a child of God. Now, Father, we thank You for the time You've given us to focus upon Your great, matchless, magnificent plan. We pray that You will help us to keep our priorities straight, meaning always You first. And trust You to work these things out in our lives so that we can have that superabundant grace, blessings now, and look forward to them even in eternity. For we pray it in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.